They got that information, turned around and failed at it miserably. Fluent in five, conversational in a couple more. So I used in a professional capacity, German, English, Italian, Spanish and Mandarin Chinese. And then at parties, I'm a big phenomenon because you speak in French, Portuguese and other things like that. I look at it as a marathon. Is no matter how little you learn, if you have fun, you keep on doing it and you're going to keep on improving. Community is a thing maybe that is not being talked about enough in the digital nomad sphere. So all the people from other countries come to one place to chat, but they are all experienced travelers and they all have a remote business that is working. So they're extremely woke and they know about business, they know about traveling. So this is the best community ever. But this is what you can do in the next 24 hours, track yourself and have fun with it. So that's the beauty of it. First and foremost, welcome Flo, so happy to have you here. Man, it's great to be on the show, honored to be here with you. Please tell our listeners, who is Florian Kaspar and what are you doing in Danai? I grew up monolingual, but turned multilingual when I was a young adult. And I've previously used that skill set in a corporate career in HR, which I then ditched basically to go digital nomad and travel the world since last October. So that's October 22. And yeah, that's what I do. I do all kinds of new challenges in the places that I am. Just last weekend, I was in a rugby tournament, which I never played rugby before, like coming to Vietnam, funny enough. So I do all kinds of challenges like that. And now my job is to help other people study foreign languages as well and share my best techniques, which have worked for me with others. And that's how I make money these days. How many languages do you speak? I usually say all of them, but all of them poorly. That's the trick. But fluent in five, conversational in a couple more. So I used in a professional capacity, German, English, Italian, Spanish, and Mandarin Chinese. And then at parties, I'm a big phenomenon because you hear me speak in French, Portuguese, and other things like that. But I wouldn't let that count like for myself, but other people have said that counts. Depends on your definition of fluent in what speaking is, but I speak a bunch. That's not the problem. And I want to show other people how easy it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I'll probably pick your brain during this session, since for me personally, and for many others that I met, learning new languages is quite a challenge. And you mentioned at some point that you used to be mediocre at language learning and how a person from that stage, can you go from that? to actually being able to learn so many languages. Have a lot of fun, man. Have a lot of fun. Fun is first. I think a lot of people think it, it must be something super serious, but I look at it as a marathon is no matter how little you learn, if you're having fun, you keep on doing it and you're going to keep on improving. For instance, Italian and Spanish was really the will to communicate. I had a great fun with those people and I wanted to switch languages from at that time, German to that other tongue, so Spanish or Italian. And the idea was, all right, this is 18 year old Florian. I no longer endorse these methods, but the idea was really let's cut out the crap, all this class, which teaches you like, oh, my brother is 18 years old type of stuff. I was like, let's ditch all of that. It's not the stuff I want to talk about on parties, right? So I literally got a piece of paper. I wrote down uh, all kinds of pronouns or verbs, adjectives. So I go to blah, blah, blah. And then in the first page, I called this the one page Florian approach. In this very first page, there's everything like a toolbox you need to start a conversation. So I go to, and at first everything is just this place. And I want this thing. 
or this person. So there's three nouns that rule the entire world. There's no, no other thing you need to know. And then just some nice adjectives. So there's beautiful person or a nice person or ugly person. And then you can make practical jokes in at parties. Like you suddenly can ask a person, oh, do you like this pretty person over there? And you mean this pretty girl that he's been lurking at from the other side of the room. And then people are already chuckling like, oh, 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 oh yeah, of course I like her. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. And then I was able to have a very meaningful interaction, although brief, after one day or one hour, actually. My ideal was to do it in a very sh short period of time to get into conversations that actually are meaningful. And what I then did is that you have one page and then the second page is more about, all right, more useful nouns. So suddenly it's, you know, boy, girl, friends, strangers type of things. And then once you do a couple pages in, that approach no longer works. But for starters, that was great. And it got me going in all these languages in all kinds of party cocktail settings. And then I just kept on talking. And that was my entire approach for the first two years of that polyglot journey. Of course, I would love to know more. Did you have any tools or apps that you use? Or you simply go about the classic way, reading in that particular language or listening to audios? or how you start to acknowledge more than just the conversation starter? To stick with the story, even though I no longer would do it the same way, because now I got, I thankfully got a bit smarter. I turned around and I used the course books. I just didn't do any of the exercises. So I'd get the course book. And for instance, in Spanish, I would join the course, like the B1 and B2 two course at the same time. I attended both of those courses. They were twice a week. And for both of them, I came once a week. So needless to say, I was not the favorite student of these teachers because I was just a, a guy just dropping by and, and asking questions and not really participating or like, no, I, I never did the homework. Basically, I was asking more questions than anybody. So I, I took the course book. I thought was what was interesting. I attended several courses. Um, and so I tried to get the best out of these courses and it was a very, very active participant in asking questions. And then I was very bothered when the teacher told me, oh no, this is only covered in this, in this level. So I just, I literally just went ahead and got into that class as well. So I always tried to hack these classes and getting the most of these course books uh, because they do teach a nice framework. They give you things to do and like kind of grammar that we need to know. And I remember plowing through the entirety of Italian grammar, basically uh, in one afternoon or like the theory of it, having seen it all, the application then took years, but that is, is what got me to the next step. And then once my Italian was at a decent level at the time, I also, uh, well, that was the reason why I got into Italian in the first place. I actually was focused on Spanish from my college degree, right? I had an Italian girlfriend then, and then I literally had a chat with her. We sat down and she spoke German fairly well. But she actually wanted to, like her initial proposal was like, let's, let's speak English, which a lot of, I think a lot of couples do when they're from two separate countries. They're both, both already know English. They've gotten to know each other in English. They would stick with that. But funny enough, we were able to pull ourselves together and make the decision that we would do one day only in German and one day only in Italian. So we would hang out a lot of time. We're both living in the same city, by the way. So it's not like a long distance relationship and then try to do the entire they in the other person's language, which was very challenging at first because I didn't know that much Italian. Uh, remember, I was I was just a couple of steps away from, oh, I like this thing. Do you want to do this thing? Oh, let's go to his house or this house, uh, wh wherever that house is. 
And that was the next step for me because I still didn't do any reading. I still didn't consume any of the media that was very much limiting to me. I just wanted to talk to people. I got better at it. I, all the party topics I was able to cover with great fluency. And that's what I did up until I went then to study abroad in Spain. And then I was introduced to academic papers in Spanish, which uh, were challenging to me, but still just being able to talk in class was more than most international students would have done. Being like having the confidence to speak up because I had a lot of speaking practice in that regard. Uh, and then in various easy terms, tried to solve the, the questions of the professors. And then only in, during that time, towards the end of my time in Spain, that was 2018, I did get into reading in either Italian or Spanish. I basically didn't read anything at all. And then when I came back, I infamously still attended four language courses in four different languages at the same time and trying to use the max of my dead time, getting into reading articles, listening to podcasts, lots, lots of news, everything that was trending on Instagram in any of these countries, being very involved into their social media, reading a couple of books. That's what I did up until Chinese became a big priority. And that's where, that's the year 2019. And in 2019, I thought I was invincible because I was using my dead time to max extent, having a fair deep fluency in, in, in Italian and in Spanish. And that's that point. And then Chinese came around. I had studied Chinese formally with courses, right? Because at the time I still was a believer, let's say, of courses, but I've attended Chinese courses for three years, ever since I got into college. So from 2019, I was always in Chinese courses. I was always a very diligent student, did all my homework, went to extra classes, all the activities that they offered to, to get in touch with Chinese students, all of that. I participated in everything and I was still extremely limited in Chinese, but I thought, Hey, I have this approach of just chatting up people and then getting into as much podcast later on and all that stuff because it's been working for me in Italian and Spanish. So this can't be that difficult for a Chinese. Yes, it was extremely difficult. I hit the ground in China and I, I knew nothing. And I remember the first week they would always say Nege, and I have never heard of Nege in mainland China. Nege, what was that? And it basically just means like, or that one over there. So imagine studying English for three years and you don't know the word like, you'll have a tough time. And that was me with Chinese. So I ditched the entire thing. I then at the time went ahead and was pursuing a heavily flashcard based approach because the Chinese levels, they actually tell you what words do you, you should know at which level which is somewhat limiting as well, but at least it gives you a framework of what to do. So you can just go ahead and swallow these words. So that's what I did. I just did flashcards for one and a half hours each day for half a year, and then was hitting the streets and trying to chat up people, which was culturally just very, very different from what I was used to. And that was extremely frustrating in a lot of instances. And I think it took me about three months to, to kind of get my bearings there instead of like three weeks or even less in the other countries. So that was a longer journey for me, for sure. And just when I started feeling somewhat comfortable in, in, in Chinese, and I particularly remember uh, a good trip we took down, I was visiting a friend who was uh, volunteering as a teacher in a village in uh, Yunnan in the southern, province, southern province of China. And we were, we were literally just going around the village and chatting up people because in the village people were so much more open than in the city. Right. So I was chatting up people in the city and they kind of looking at me like a, like an alien, like, oh, what's this white guy doing over here? But in the village, they were just so happy to see a foreigner. And 
I mean, of course, they would try to, to practice their two phrases of English that they knew, but after that, the conversation would immediately switch to Chinese, and that was an awesome way to practice and get to know more about rural China. And so that was an awesome two weeks down in Yunnan. Shout out to my man Fred, if you're ever hearing this, awesome trip, still one of the best trips I ever took in my life, and getting to know just village life down there. And after that, I, I just put that on the map and I came back with more confidence and the, really the ability to speak a lot. And uh, so that was then January 2020. After January 2020, if you remember, everybody had to kind of leave China for a while due to this little pandemic thing. So that, that was that. And then I graduated college already with these five languages. And I basically didn't start a new language after that, which is surprising looking at my background. So I got the deeper understanding of all of these languages, kept on improving, which surprised me at the time. Because in 2018, after I had broken up with my Italian girlfriend, I thought I would never really get it back into Italian. And that would kind of just be a thing that fades away. But um, I've been uh, a firm believer of language logs, which basically means I record a video of me speaking. And if I look at the logs from 2018, which is by now is five years ago, I was at the time I was feeling like, like a snack. I was feeling like my Italian was awesome. Right. When I took the back of the day, the B2 exam, and I had a good grade on the B2 exam. I had like this language log and I'm like, yeah, this is such a good experience. I, you know, I think this is the best Italian I'll ever speak. And I look at it now and I think this is not good. This is borderline embarrassing content, Florian. And it's been extremely motiv motivating for me to see that because it's in my life, because it's not just a time in the past that I used to live in that country. No, it's in my life and it, it'll stay in my life forever. And this is how I look at language learning. That's beautiful. And I see there a pattern. Every language that you learn almost, you either have a connection with that country, even by going there or having your and for those that are not able to do so, to not able to travel to other countries to practice their English or the language that they try to learn or improving the vocabulary, what tips you have for them to be able to actually improve any language they try to acquire? So from the standpoint of today, 2023, I'm confident to say that it's a concept called comprehensive input by Stephen Cresham. So long story short, it's having fun with the language and consuming it every single day. Numerous studies have shown that as long as you consume the language on a consistent level with extreme amounts of input, and I'm not talking about a listen to a podcast 10 minutes a day. I'm, I'm talking about an hour. I'm talking two hours, three hours. Uh, how would you be able to get that done every single day without burning out study-wise. So it can't be a formalized study. It has to be something that is extremely fun for you, that you would do for free and you do when you're tired, you do when you're not feeling well. So that's how the entire youth is picking up English because the internet is in English. If it's any other target language but English, it, you'll have to tweak probably your internet consumption into that language. The key factor there is that you consume it actively like you are looking at, you're not just consuming for content, you're also aware of the things you don't know, right? So you watch out for what you don't know for whenever you are reading something, listening to something. It doesn't have to be only new words. New words are cool, but actually real fluency in a language like English also comes with just understanding every single meaning of a single word, right? So to get 
is a very versatile word. Like, oh, let me get that. You know, I don't get it. What is he getting at? Well, completely different meanings just by putting a couple of prepositions in a different point. And you need to see a lot of examples for you to make that work and for you to be comfortable enough that it's not just passive vocabulary, but active vocabulary. So not just things you understand, but things you are confident saying as well. And you need to get extreme amounts of input. And this is what has been helping me also improve my languages without actually meeting lots of Italians. Like right now I'm living in Vietnam. Like I didn't speak any Italian in, in a long time, but just the other day I, I met another Italian and was able to strike up a very nice conversation and it's still going because I'm still consuming Italian. So you can actually improve your speaking without speaking. If you're playing it smart, but of course, if you're an introvert, like zero speaking practice, then I'd recommend something else. But as a bulletproof way of doing it, not just for a couple of days when you're motivated, not just a couple of weeks when you really have some passion or a couple of months when you're attending a course, but for years, then I'd say comprehensive input, look at what you can consume on a massive level. I agree. Since is the way I improve mine when it comes to English being a second language as well. And I literally consume as much content as possible from reading to listening to audiobooks and such. And that got me over the line. And I know that you transition from being passionate about learning languages to actually teaching others how to thrive in business by embracing the principle of transformative coaching. And can you share a bit more on that, on how the process works and why did you move that way? Um, so there is a thing called the Polyglot Gathering and the Polyglot Conference. So this is a yearly event uh, in which uh, very, very multilingual people, which are quite a bit smarter than I am, uh, get together and talk about language learning and all kinds of topics. And that was the content that I used to watch just for knowledge, right? I, I love that the way they look at language learning and uh, a lot of these concepts that I've been dropping here today, I get directly from that community. And now I'm fortunate enough to be a speaker myself this year, but the concepts that I was introduced to, I thought were so extremely powerful. I wanted to share it with others. And I, I did that for free ever since, um, people were asking me, oh man, you, you know, last week you didn't speak any Italian. Now you're chatting me up in Italian. How did you do it? And I would basically tell them this is what I did, right? I was providing information. I was telling them how I did it. And then people were like, oh, this is cool, but they didn't apply it themselves because I was providing information. Now as a coach, I provide coaching. I no, no longer just tell them the information, this is what you can do, but I help them put that into practice themselves. And that's the biggest mindset shift that happened in my business. Um, because I'll tell you, um, we used to host these big workshops in my hometown university on how to learn lang languages and or specifically how to learn German for the semester abroad. So that's a lot of international students. They get in and the first week in orientation week, we invite them to this open free event, which is an open free workshop. We'll tell you how you can actually study German because we see generation of, after generation of Erasmus or semester after semester of Erasmus students coming in and they're all failing at a 90% plus rate. So the system is set up to fail because everybody's failing. Nobody's learning the language in this semester abroad, at least in a country like Germany. And so we sit them down, we tell them, hey, the system is broke. You will fail at a 90% plus plus rate. If you don't do this, we were providing information. And 
these workshops were great. We held them in English and anybody on any level could, could attend, like or on any German level, it was applicable to all of them. And they said, man, this is like great input. This is like absolutely awesome, man, what you do. This is, man, I need more of this. This is great stuff. And I was like, yeah, cool. Just apply these principles. Once, if you have any questions, come back to me. I, I did this for completely free and people didn't do anything. They got that information, turned around and failed at it miserably. And then after the semester was over, they kind of came crawling back and was like, yeah, Florian, you're right. I know you're right. I'm feeling bad. Uh, what can I do now? So I no longer wanted to do that. I, I gave a couple, a couple of semesters I really tried. I initially thought maybe it's something about the PowerPoint, how we were interacting with people. Uh, maybe we should share different study methods, something that is even easier to do. Uh, no, it really wasn't because we weren't providing coaching at the time. And so that was the big mindset shift for me in my coaching business now is that now that I'm working one-on-one, -on -one, I, I can show them the information, but the actually the, the cool part of coaching is that you dig deeper into why people are still doing the things that are not working, that are not getting them these results. So you dig deeper, get people themselves to reflect that's not working and they themselves then ask, oh, what's the different study method I can use? So I no longer just give them unsolicited advice uh, with methods like motivation, interviewing, active listening, and having a real coaching conversation, which is an open-ended conversation. I ask now people what they need, funny enough, and I still give them the same answer. That is the funny thing about coaching. I still give them the same normative study method, right? I still do basically give them the same advice. But now like I present it in a way that people can accept it and I help them then implement it. I stick around for that. I'm around for the accountability I make sure in weekly calls that my students or coaches are making the things happen that they themselves committed to. So I don't give homework. They give themselves missions to do. And I help them with the entire implementation part and I help them visualize their progress and help them themselves to stay motivated and make them independent learners. So that's the beauty of it. And when it comes for you arriving at this point where you know exactly what and how you do things, what were the challenges along the way that you didn't foresee when you started your coaching? Oh boy, it's finding a way to communicate what I exactly do because language coaching is extremely niche and people also call themselves language coaches with and they're not doing what I do. They're just, they're just another teacher with a vocabulary list and grammar rules that they just put up and they still call themselves coaches. So finding a niche and finding a way to communicate that what I do was initially a big hurdle and then finding the right people that I could help with that my services would resonate with best Where I'd say maybe two of the biggest roadblocks for me in the beginning. And did you apply or did you ask yourself specific questions to arrive at that point to know for certain, okay, I will be able to help this category and so on. How do you narrow down? I was looking at the clients that had the best success, honestly, that were succeeding most, the ones that I had most fun with working, that had the best results. And that naturally, like I started out with people that were an intermediate level, which they could, of course, profit off of my service, but they got stuck in the intermediate level because they, most of the time they have actually a motivation problem. So I would have sessions with them and they're stuck on an intermediate level, but they're actually not fully convinced 
that they actually want to learn German. It's kind of like a, ah, I should do type of deal. So I ended up being a motivational coach for these people at an intermediate level. And then I figured out, oh, this is not what I want to do. So I retargeted towards people that are actually extremely advanced already. If they have shown that they want to do it. And I've been following, yeah, the successful clients because the ones that had the biggest breakthroughs were the ones at a very high level of German in terms of proficiency and a very high awareness of their own problem. And that's when anything that I said really resonated with them. They went, they had the easiest time implementing that, having results. And that's been my recipe, but it took me legitimately four months on, on the struggle bus <laughs> to figure out that, yeah, who, who has the best performance, honestly, because it took me a while and only yeah, after four or five months, I, I had my avatar down. I had a couple of avatars and it, I just had to always adjust it when I saw, like I had a, a very different clients, right? And I just saw just certain categories performing very well. It also helped once, because I started out uh, at my very first coaching session that I was paid for was exactly one US dollar for 30 minutes wow. <laughs> on a platform called Amazing Talker. And at the time I was even have, that was my very first coaching client. So the very first person who would be paying me money to do so, which already had me excited. And when I first started out then on these platforms, just to get coaching experience, all of these people were paying me very little money and you could show in the effort as well. They were not taking it serious. So it also was then a bit of more trial and error, raising my prices and actually seeing a vast difference in my client, the clientele as well. I think. Most freelancers, solopreneurs, and anybody working out there can resonate with that story that once you raise your prices, you get better clients as well. And that was also a, you know, little by little approach on getting just, yeah, people who would actually get the results and are the ones that are willing to pay more. And I figured that out in a very practical way as well. So maybe in those two pronged things, right? People who had success, people who were taking it serious, people who were actually aware of the problem and uh, ready to spend money on it. Honestly, I don't know if what I would have done differently because at the time I just didn't know. Um, maybe if I would have had more guidance from other language coaches, looking back, that was missing. Um, it's just nobody was really doing what I am doing. Right? So um, there are language coaches out there, they, they work in a different way. So I kind of felt isolated, maybe. In a year's time, this is going to be a silly statement, but <laughs> I didn't quite know. I didn't have a mentor. Maybe if I would have been shown another way to do it or a bigger, better pricing strategy and a, a better idea of the niches out there, I, I would have gotten there faster. My honest opinion is that you actually narrow down your niche way faster than majority of people out there. Who exactly are you targeting? My niche are advanced German learners who are already living in Germany probably for years. So those are people who got stuck at a, if you're familiar with the uh, European framework of languages at a B2 level, which is already quite advanced. So they already, they could be living in like speaking German all day. Most of them are still kind of stuck, not having the confidence to actually speak in their daily daily life. So these people have attended plenty of courses. They actually know almost all the grammar rules. Um, they know, have like a deep understanding of German as a language. They just don't use it. And they, most of them are uncomfortable. Most of my clients want to make the transition from living 
in Germany in English to living in Germany, speaking German, feeling comfortable, having German as their second skin and not having to worry about that anymore. Because two weeks ago, I onboarded the, the client with the longest history in German, in Germany. He's been living in Germany for 10 years. It's, it's actually crazy because I never thought I'd, I could onboard somebody who is, has already this fossilized maybe of a situation, right? But he's been living in Germany for 10 years and he's been working in German for the past four years. And, but when you hear him speak, he's still very uncomfortable. It is crazy. Um, but then digging deep and then finding out what his actual problems are and resolving that has been great for the past two weeks, honestly. And this type of person is it really needs coaching because they don't need another grammar class. They don't need another vocab class on, well, how do I, well, how does the conjunctive two work in German? They don't need that. They've studied it upside down, but they come to me and they say like, well, if I just study it one more time, you know, for the 10th time, this now, this is going to give me the confidence to start speaking and this is going to improve my accent. So I help them with um, things on mindset. I help them with things on daily practice, speaking practice, accent reduction, fear of speaking. And this is some of the main points that I, that I focus on now. So uh, B2++, um, highly knowledgeable of the German language and somehow got stuck uh, speaking still another language in Germany. So they, they, had, they, they ran out of all the excuses, basically. My target client ran out of all the excuses. Number one excuse, well, once, once I live in Germany, I'll be immersed. They know that's a lie. You can build a, language, you can build a life in any country speaking at least English or maybe even your native tongue. Number two, I need more time. They had years of time, right? My client, he, he's been here for 10 years. He had plenty of time to put in the work. Well, once I, I get to the level where I have a proficiency where I can work, then I'll be comfortable, you know, then I won't make these silly little mistakes in Germany anymore because I'll be a professional. This guy has been working in Germany for four years already. You know, he changed jobs twice taking interviews in German and being hired for on his level of German. That's, you know, the company is conscious of that, that he's not comfortable still and that he still makes mistakes. And he still just, he's just looking for a solution on basically how he can root out these mistakes and no longer be perceived as a foreigner, basically like accentless speech. So the people ran out of all the excuses, they did, did all the courses and that's exactly where they come to me. And around this, I would like you to build a step-by-step -step process for someone that it's in your client situation that probably they live for years in a particular country. They know the language, the grammar and so on, but they are not confident enough. But in the same time, they have this blockage and you want them to be able to go from A to B. What will be the process that you envision for them to take? Yes, that is being understood that no longer is perceived as a foreigner, really. I think if you're not speaking the language at all, let's say you really don't speak German in your daily life at all, I would propose some exposure therapy, but in a very smart way. So instead of just telling you like, just push, you know, just go out on the streets and speak, you know, especially introverts have a big problem with that. Like this is already uncomfortable already to start with. So let's be mindful, right? So when I say exposure therapy, let's be aware who we talk to in which situation about what, right? So if you're not speaking about anything, so let's pick a conversation partner in your daily life, or let's find somebody, let's work together on finding somebody you can meet on a regular basis to chat about X, Y, Z. 
And that might be, I have a client, she's a Russian girl living, has been living in Germany for the past four years. For her, like, is the janitor of the building. Like, he's there every single day. They can always chat about that, right? So her entire job is in English, but she can chat to the janitor who doesn't speak any English every single day and ask him about weather and what kind of stuff. So this is super basic conversation. This is way lower than her actual level, but it keeps her in the, um, gets her into the flow of it, right? So let's pick these, I say, pick the battles you can win. You know, let's build some confidence there. Of course you can talk to the janitor, super nice guy. Tell him about the weather. Perfect. Already first thing in the office, you already have a win in German, right? So, and then we pick more battles and when you want to do it in a professional context, all right, so maybe let's not talk to the boss already on the first day or the, the biggest fear situation is like the uh, foreign administration office in Germany, the Ausland. People, you, people have to call them for official papers to extend the visa. People are super scared of that, right? That is the worst situation for everybody. Let's have them at the end bars, but let's get a couple levels in between, right? If you're at work, let's chat to the intern in the lunch break, right? Let's have a challenge where you chat up somebody younger than you, right, at, at, the, at the job. So you won't be judged as much, right? And then slowly we build that up. And one thing is exposure therapy. The other thing is let's be conscious about the things you still don't know, right? So when you chat to these people, have them give you feedback as well. And then you have to be active about what kind of feedback you want, because most like it, none of the native speakers are trained to give you feedback, right? So you need to ask for exact feedback, right? So I said this phrase, how would you say it? Did I say it right? You actively have to ask for feedback and be very aware of the type of feedback that you're getting. And if you're getting too much correction, then you have to tell them like, Hey, if I want to get this conversation going, please just correct this and this, right? And then you can get the feedback you need, get yourself and not license a notebook and write down the things you're still getting wrong. When other people are saying cool stuff in the office, write those down, right? And then you, we, you can bring them to a session or by yourself and look at, all right, this phrase, why did this person say this? Maybe I can say this as well. And then, then you're just copying, copying other people in the office, what they have been saying. So it's bulletproof, right? So you just say what the other, what your colleagues been dropping in lunch break. Perfect. Right. This is what you can say in the next challenge. So one thing is exposure therapy. And the other thing is have a system where the things you see, the thing, the feedback that you're getting is being put into one place that you can then use to improve your next speaking challenge. If you will, those two pillars is what I put out. And I love the actionable uh, advice. I love to guide the discussion more into the nomad lifestyle that you have now. Since I know that it's quite new for you, even that you travel a lot and been an exchange student and then been to China and so on, but the actual nomad lifestyle is something uh, new for you. And I love to hear not only the challenges, but the benefits of starting this lifestyle. Well, I, I came for the benefits and I'll chew up the benefits all I can get. I was an exchange student above in high school and academically, I was in so-called expat and the digital nomad lifestyle is the best way to live abroad. It is living on your own terms in the place that you want at the time that you want. So instead of going to, in my case, suburban Philadelphia in some industrial park factory in the bitter cold winter, you can come to any place you like, let's say Danang, Vietnam in May with the loveliest weather right next to the beach. So you can pick where and when and uh, you can pick your own job. Like I invented my own job, literally. Like I, in, in this entire discussion, we talked about how I actually changed my job, like <laughs> a lot. So it's being a solopreneur, it's being a digital nomad, at least in my case, has allowed me such a freedom 
to, for self-expression, right? So go to Vietnam, go to Bali, go to Thailand, right? Or go to somewhere completely different. All up to you, whatever you want. So this is unprecedented, absolutely great stuff. And I'm still not getting why not more people are doing it. <laughs> like if somebody would have told me in university, hey, you can do this, I would have maybe never stepped into a corporate career, honestly. Love that and love the comparison with being an actual expat in which you have to live in that particular space for various reasons, even you have a stable job there or as you as a student. And when it comes to being an actual digital nomad, I have the freedom to move wherever, I don't know, your visa allows you or if you are a remote worker and you have to be in a certain time zone, maybe it's a bit restrictive, but apart yeah, from the those, time zones, I have a thing to say about the time zone. I would actually love to hear that. How do you manage time zone when it comes to coaching? Oof. Oh boy. So my clientele is entirely in Germany. I am right now in Southeast Asia. There's five hours of time difference. I give a group course, which for these people, they are graduates. They need an evening course. So that means that an evening course starting 6 PM in Germany is 11 PM here in Vietnam. So I'm considering myself a vampire, at least for the time that I'm here, because I'm quite literally giving this group coaching program for graduates 11 PM to 1 AM. And then I'm coming home at around 2 AM and I'm walking through the city, which is either, you know, sleeping or very drunk. And I'm the guy coming back from work. So that is a very odd setup. And in terms of sleep cycle takes a serious amount of dedication to still work that out. But if you just do the math, getting up at then 10 a.m. Is, is a very reasonable time. And then to head into the office at 2 or 3 is also still very reasonable. Um, because if you look at just how it was shifted, that is how I accommodate time zones right now. But I know people are doing crazier things than I do. I know a guy, he uh, is working for a South African company. And he's doing sales. So he's doing, taking sales calls from local time, Vietnam, 9 PM to like midnight. And then he's going to sleep and starting to take calls again at 7 AM because the clients are like globally and things like that. So you do hear these crazy stories for me, at least it's temporary. So that gives me the hope that I come back to a normal nine to five setup, which is not even that bad. Right. Uh, if you think about finishing work at 2 a.m. So yeah, for me, it, it takes some serious amount of ded dedication. And that's also like a solo pro learning, right? So take a weekend, work on normal times, uh, because yes, the hustle lifestyle is all, all great and good if the results are forthcoming, but I'm here to stay <laughs> as a digital nomad. And for that, I need uh, a schedule that I can rely on that for times that I can still meet other people who have normal hobbies because I mean, man, like if you finish work at 5 PM, yes, you say, I'm, I mean, I'm tired, but the gym is still open. Right. And at 2 AM, at least here in the night, gyms are closed. Right. So there's what, what kind of after work opportunities is going to be, Hey, let's grab a beer after work. Sounds great. at 7 PM. Right. But the beer after work at 3 AM is going to look pretty different. Right. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm not, a, not by myself in the co-working space at that time. And I still hang, still hang out with these people, but it's tough to forget that it's an ungodly hour. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And of course it, it's one of the challenges of uh, digital normal lifestyle, especially when you have, you need to have these calls across the globe or to run either a 
coaching business or to have client calls, whatever your business is. So this is one to keep in mind. And any other challenges that you face since you start? I have a word to say about fast nomading. So if you're telling a traveler that they're going to stay in a place for one month, that's terrible, right? Any backpacker, let's stay in the Nang for one month. They'd be bored to hell, right? But for me, switching location every, we kind of started out, my girlfriend and I, moving places about every one to two months. But it's just way too fast. Even like three months in Da Nang, I think is like these three months for me now is, is pretty much a minimum to go to any place because it just takes too much time to find a nice place that you like, find a good gym to go to, a social sphere, especially because we've been really getting into not just living in a place, but also building a bit of a community. And community is a thing maybe that is not being talked about enough in the digital nomad sphere because we always like when you're in a meetup people like to talk about yeah let's go to i don't know this place in bali this place in latin america right all this like bands go in bulgaria all the benefits of the place right so cost of living weather what kind of accommodation you could get how the co-working space is looking like all these physical things which i think are important of course it's what a lot of people want, and this is what I want as well. What I would add to the list is that the community is what makes the place special because as a digital nomad, you can no longer just hang out with backpackers and get drunk every other day because otherwise you'd be bored. No, you want to stay productive and you want to have business chat. Like I learned almost everything from the digital nomads. Those meetups have been extremely empowering for me. And that is like fundamental stuff to my business, not just a nice conversation about business, right? What I initially thought it could be, or just meeting people and, you know, being able to not just drink coffee by myself, but with other people. No, this is like essential stuff. Like the, the sales strategy that I'm now running is something that how to have a sales call, basically having a sales script is entirely off of another nomad who basically just gave me his sales course for free. Right. Nice. So I was able to access that online for free and learned everything about sales, which was a course that I would have never bought with. I think it was around 3000 USD and that was just a hey, chatting people up. Right. And so to have that community takes time to get, to have that connection takes a bit of time. Digital nomads are great to know. Like it's the better version of an Erasmus meetup, right? So all the people from all the countries come to one place to chat, but they are all experienced travelers and they all have a remote business that is working. So they're extremely woke and they know about business. They know about traveling. So this is the best community ever. I used to be a Rasmus coordinator for Rasmus Polis for three years, right? So um, if you've ever been to an Erasmus event, you know that young people like to you know, drink alcohol, but they, are, they basically don't know anything about life. But digital nomads are quite a bit older. They've seen much more of the world. They've run a business. And that, those are very interesting conversations, not just about business, but about all kinds of mindfulness topics about exercise, about work-life balance, about what to do when you go abroad, finding yourself. You can find so much stuff and it's a great connection. And what we've started doing is actually bringing these people together. So not just being in the place, but organizing brunches here. I know my girlfriend Frenzy is organizing a female entrepreneur meetup. So this is stuff where you bring people together, all the great people that are already here working remotely, you bring them together and you support each other so much that this is almost worth as much as the place itself. And I'll leave it at that. 
That's beautiful. And it's one of the things that I praise as well. And one of my guests said something that stayed with me. Like digital nomads don't travel between places. They travel between communities. For example, I've been here in Bali for the third time, thanks to the community. And same with other places that I will continue to visit for the same reason. And for those looking from outside, they think that digital nomads are simply travelers. Yes, we travel as well, but we don't travel for the simple purpose of traveling. We love to immerse into communities, to learn new things, to see new places. But the main reason are totally different and community is a huge part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And what's next for you? Back to Germany for the summer and then heading out to another destination in Europe in terms of a locality. Next for me in the business is, I think, I'll be an excited reader of everything that you put out, which is absolutely fantastic content. As right now, as a one-on-one coach, I'm, and that's what actually a lot of coaches are preaching, is I'm only trading time for money. That's the only thing I do, right? So everything I've ever done so far is just changing my my price, well, and the pricing model. Well, you, hey, hang on, you can't just floor, book Florian for one hour. This is not really how it works. Or, you know, book a time contingent of stuff like that. and then. It's changed into a setup that actually works for you, but I'm still just attending calls with people. And what's next for me is to group people together that are similar enough that a group coaching makes sense, not only because it's more competitive pricing for them, but because I think it is very empowering for these people to see that they're not by themselves and uh, that in any coaching business is great when they are instantly part of a community. This is what I want to build up next. It's a group program that is is focused on that as well. And that's should that should be another interesting project. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to see that evolve. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You cannot trade your time for money for too long. And it's the next logical step. And can't wait to hear from you how that evolves. I'm sure it will be a success like everything that you touch. And please. Tell our listeners where they can find you. You can find me on my Instagram, German Coach Flow, and um, on my LinkedIn profile, uh, Florian Casper. Um, welcome to check out uh, the stuff that I put out there. Um, and, and stay in touch with the language community. Get in touch with um, the coolest language learning methods out there. And by not just me, but any polyglot out there. And you'll be able to see me. Um, but yeah, start with the Instagram handle and you won't miss out. I'll put the, sh- the links in the show notes as well. And before we wrap up, it's time for you to create a challenge for our listeners. A short one, 24 hours only. And if they apply the challenge, they will be able to improve one part of the learning process when it comes to a new foreign language. I think what something that anybody can do is the way I would measure success for anybody who is a beginner or low intermediate or even intermediate is the length of the conversation that you're able to hold. Before you basically break, you have to look up a word before you switch to another language. You can measure that for beginners that we're talking minutes, right? So what the challenge is, get yourself a native speaker friend or hire a tutor. They are very inexpensive online, right? And you literally track the time on how long um, you're able to hold a conversation about whatever topic um, and you track that. And if it's five minutes the first time before you break, perfect, right? Let's let's have five minutes. But within that, try to beat those five minutes right, and have a streak 
industry. And by the end of it, I'm pretty sure you can, you can many times fold that time that you're able to hold the conversation in that language. And yeah, then you have a snowball effect and you push the, the ball downhill and five minutes get become 50 minutes, become 60 minutes, become the entire day. So this is what you can do in the next 24 hours, track yourself and have fun with it. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check the show notes where you'll find direct links to the tools and resources mentioned in this episode and much more. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast station to not miss when we drop the next one. We have lots of exciting guests and surprises for you coming up. This is your host, Gabe Marushka, with the Nomad Solopreneur Show. Until next week, Pura Vida!